Last November, uh, my mom, a cousin of mine, and a good friend of mine, and I, uh, we all ran the Shiner Half Marathon. Now, uh, I don't look like a runner. That's because I'm not. Uh, I've never been particularly athletic, but encouraged by others for the sake of my health, I, uh, I try to work out each day. And I find that having a goal Having something that I'm working towards uh, helps me do that often. You know, you've probably had similar experiences yourself in, uh, in your life, in work, and in school, with your family. It's a mark of maturity, of human maturity, to be able to sacrifice some present good for some future good, Right? To say I'm going to uh, endure some sort of suffering now in order to achieve some greater good later. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, the most salient example of this in human life, and there's a, examples abound, obviously, uh, but is parents raising their children. Parents know that the work of raising a child to maturity uh, and to be virtuous is often very demanding, very difficult. From uh, conception to uh, maturity, there's many moments of joy, of course, but there's also moments of great heartbreak, of great difficulty, of that uh, 2 a.m. feeding or the kid who comes back late and you have to figure out what's going on and all these different things, right? Parents endure a lot for the sake of of loving their children, of bringing their children up to be virtuous. But, and what makes that all worth it is rejoicing in the child come to full maturity. Because you have the goal in mind, you're willing to endure, you're willing to sacrifice. The same fact holds true, brothers and sisters, in our spiritual life. If we recognize the end for which we strive, we will be capable of sacrificing to achieve it. This is what St. Paul is talking about in the second reading today when he says that we, uh, that creation, we especially, groan for freedom. We groan for the freedom, the glorious liberty of the sons of God, right? What is he talking about? He's saying, that we find ourselves in a valley of tears, we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, even as we know that our goal is heaven, even as we uh, cry out for heaven. This earthly existence is but a prelude to the full symphony to be revealed in heaven. Heaven is the end for which you and I strive as Christians. And never, even though our life is not perfect, and there remains suffering, and even though that's true that it, this is a prelude, we shouldn't forget, brothers and sisters, that our eternal life has already begun in us. Consider, at your baptism, brothers and sisters, the seed of eternal life was sown into the garden of your soul. And if that life of God has died in you, uh, and you've repented and gone to confession, it's been given back to you. God nourishes you each time you come to the Eucharist with his very body and blood. 
Another word for the Eucharist, another title that we call it, is the pledge of future glory or a foretaste of heaven. We already live, in other words, a life that is not ours, a life that we have rather received from Jesus Christ. St. Catherine of Siena, a 14th century Dominican uh, laywoman, she was part of like kind of the first um, lay movements in the church. She said this, she said, all the way to heaven is heaven. For he said, referring to Jesus, I am the way. And what her insight was, brothers and sisters, is that heaven is not so much a place, but a relationship. A relationship with the Lord. And this is how we can know for a fact that our heavenly life has already begun because heaven means communion with the Lord. And so if we are in communion with the Lord, even as we groan for freedom from suffering, so still we have that life. This is the strange and the beautiful paradox of Christianity. We're a people already with the Lord, but not free of suffering. And it's there that I want to kind of dive in a little bit. You see, even as Christ always remained with his Father, even in the moment where it appears that he's furthest, right, on the cross, in the dark moment, so also you and I, brothers and sisters, are in union with him even in our darkest moments. And the fruit of that union that he had with his father in that moment as he offered that sacrifice and endured that suffering is life in you and I. And the fruit of our remaining in communion with him when uh, we're suffering is, again, life the life of grace, the increase of the life of grace in us and the increase of the life of grace in others. Our communion will be perfect with him on the day of the final judgment. Nevertheless, we've already died and risen with Christ and the life we live is no longer our own, but rather his. In light of this, in light of the parable that we just heard from our Lord, we have to ask ourselves what impediments keep us from, uh, keep that life within us, the life that God has given us, from flourishing and bearing that fruit. This is the point of the parable today. See, we want to become, we want to cooperate with God to become good soil in which the life, that seed of eternal life can germinate and can grow. Now, I went to Texas A&M University, uh, so uh, I have a little bit of knowledge about soil and about growing things. So I, yeah, whoop, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so let's dive into that parable just a little bit here. To make the soil suitable for planting, if you've got a field, right, and it's no, nothing has ever been planted by human beings in it, the first thing you have to do is you have to plow it. You have to break the hard soil the hard top of the soil so that you can get the seed in there. Now, what's Christ's first warning? His first warning is for us not to be hard, not to be hardened by the indifference 
which is born from pride. We have to be open. We have to be open in order that the seed of eternal life can take root in us. You know, from the soil's perspective, that plowing, and remember, we're the soil, that plowing is something that could seem rather violent. It could seem rather difficult. Remember, the Lord is breaking our hardened hearts in order to make us able to receive Him, able to receive His love. So if we've been hardened by the lie of self-sufficiency, may He plow our hearts. Once we've plowed, brothers and sisters, we still have to remove the stones that pop up in our lives, and we've got to fertilize the soil and water it even as the seeds are planted. This is necessary because soil only supports a plant's life insofar as it has nutrients within it to give. Christ's second warning then is against sloth, which is a sorrow at spiritual good. It's a kind of a sorrow at the the fact that we have to work. It's a sorrow at the fact that God wants us to cooperate with him in the flourishing of the life of grace in us and others. Sloth occurs in that moment where we, we recognize that something's good. We recognize that God is calling us to something great. And we kind of just say, well, I'd rather do this instead. Or, and we can be really busy and still be slothful, brothers and sisters. It's that kind of rejection, that sorrow at that. So we become lax about prayer and virtuous living. We refuse to fertilize and water the soil of our soul, and we refuse to move the stones out of the field of our life, the stones that are those tripping points where we often find ourselves falling into sin. Eventually, if we allow this vice to continue, we'll become rocky, gross ground, like the prophet Isaiah talked about in uh, being quoted by the Lord today. Now, once the seed germinates, brothers and sisters, we still have to work against the weeds that might spring up as well in our lives if we wish for the seed to uh, bear fruit. The thorns that the Lord describes are vices, which, if not removed from the garden of our soul, will choke the life of grace from it. These are things like lust, greed, avarice, envy, gluttony. And they all represent, in a sense, a striving after something that's good in itself, right? Uh, Gluttony, for example, is a disordered desire for something which is good, food and drink. But if we love food and drink more than we love God or more than we love our neighbor then that will, uh, it will choke the life of grace from us. Because it will take us out of communion with the Lord. Now, all of this is very hard work, right? And, and, uh, but let us keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. Heaven, communion with the Lord which has already begun in us. And recognize that it's the Holy Spirit who works in us primarily to do these things. And we're cooperating with him. As Christ bore fruit through his sacrifice, so also our suffering and our working and cooperating with him will bear fruit in us and through us. In us, the life of grace will multiply, will grow in charity, 
And through us, through that growth in charity in us, others will come to know Jesus Christ as well. And the life of grace will begin in them. God calls you and I to bear great fruit as Christ himself did. To the extent that we repent, we run to him, and we offer him the sacrifice of our lives, the soil of our soul, the garden of our soul, will bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold.